0: Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence, suicidal ideation, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. As the curtains closed in the Covent Garden Theater, Martha Ray rushed out of her box seats with her friend, Katerina Galley. April 9, 1779, was an unseasonably warm day in London, and both women were looking forward to leaving the stuffy building for some fresh air. Martha and Katerina made their way onto the chaotic streets along with hundreds of other patrons. They looked for their carriage, but he was nowhere in sight. With each passing second, Martha grew more anxious. A young priest was courting her, and even after she'd rejected him multiple times, he refused to take no for an answer. He seemed to be following her everywhere, and Martha was worried he would find her if she stayed out too long. She needed to return home and clear her head. She did her best not to panic as she waited for the coach. When it finally arrived, Katerina climbed up to take her seat first. Martha was just moments away from escaping the crowd, but as she stepped forward, she felt a sharp tug on the back of her dress. She turned around instinctively, coming face to face with the glinting barrel of a pistol. Hi, I'm Laney Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion leaving no time to reflect on the consequences but in this show we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity how does a husband and wife become killer and victim or killer and co-conspirator if there's a thin line between love and hate What manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Podcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll travel to 18th century England to explore the love triangle between Martha Ray, James Hackman, and John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich. We'll discuss Martha's unlikely involvement with the Earl and how James developed a toxic fixation on her. Next week, we'll talk about how James' obsession turned deadly, the fallout after the crime, and the infamous argument he used to defend himself in court. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
1: New season out on Spotify soon. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name where every revelation brings
0: us closer to the truth. Martha Ray wasn't born in the lab of luxury. Her father was a simple corset maker, while her mother worked as a nobleman's servant. It was a middle-class lifestyle, and Martha was content to follow in her parents' footsteps. Around the age of 12, she was sent to apprentice as a dressmaker. Though it was tedious work, she loved fashion and working with fabrics. She dedicated herself to sewing garments and trimming hems, never imagining she would live the lavish lifestyle of her wealthy clients. But all that changed in 1761, when a chance encounter with nobility transformed her life forever. Taking a stroll in St. James Park in Westminster, 16-year-old Martha Ray relished the nice spring weather. The sun was finally shining after a long, dreary winter. The birds were singing, and she felt the wind in her hair. She was proud to be wearing a dress that she'd made herself. Walking slowly down the cobblestone path, she twirled her skirt and smiled. Though she thought she was alone, Martha wasn't the only one in the park that day. As she wandered through the trees, she caught the eye of 44-year-old John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich. He was immediately charmed by her beauty and her carefree attitude. Despite the 28 year age gap between them, the Earl decided at that very moment to make Martha his mistress. He was a man used to getting exactly what he wanted. Though he was already married, his wife suffered from mental health issues and the Earl was an infamous womanizer. After speaking with Martha, he enlisted the help of her father. Job Ray, to iron out an official agreement. Job was reportedly delighted that such a prestigious gentleman had taken a liking to his daughter. In fact, he later said it was the luckiest thing that could have happened. Martha Ray was not as thrilled. Despite her modest education, she was no fool. If she was going to agree to a relationship with the Earl, it would be on her terms. Her demands were simple. If she became the earl's mistress he would have to treat her as if she were genuine nobility she insisted that she be granted the same level of respect as lady sandwich herself to martha the relationship was purely a practical arrangement she was certainly not in love with the earl not only was he nearly 30 years older than her he was exceedingly unattractive she knew that living as his mistress would come with its challenges but she couldn't pass up the opportunity to rise above her station and live the life of a real lady. The Earl of Sandwich has since become well known as the inventor of the sandwich, but at the time he was notable for other reasons. He had command of the British Royal Navy as the first Lord of the Admiralty and wielded considerable political power in England. He was influential enough that he could publicly take a mistress with few consequences. He agreed, to all of her requests. Martha was allowed to move into the Earl's country estate, Hinginbrook House. Things started out just as she'd hoped. She had the run of a massive mansion and was given an allowance, servants and her own horse-drawn carriage. The early years of the relationship were fruitful. Within a few months of moving in, Martha was pregnant with the Earl's child. They eventually had nine children together, five of whom survived into adulthood. The Earl, by all accounts, treated them all as if they were his rightful heirs. Martha, meanwhile, was provided with several private tutors. She learned to dance, to play the harpsichord, and proper etiquette. She'd always had a pretty singing voice, but her teachers helped her refine her natural talents. Soon, she was singing at the Earl's private parties and receiving rave reviews. but not everyone accepted Martha as a proper lady. Many aristocratic neighbors of Hingenbrook saw her presence as improper. Making matters worse, the Earl himself went to great efforts to prevent her from interacting with her neighbors. She was forbidden from speaking to female guests at any of his parties and wasn't allowed to invite noble ladies over for dinner. He was extraordinarily controlling. Before I delve into the Earl of Sandwich's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. In 2013, psychologist Dr. Tatiana Shkorko found that personalities with a strong need for control require the social interest of other people and expect that other people will include him in their social groups and activities. In other words... The Earl, who depended on his relationships with fellow noblemen, couldn't risk a scandal that might make him a social pariah. His ego couldn't handle it. In the same analysis, Dr. Shkorko found that a person who strives to control others, take responsibility, make decisions, will perceive oneself as a creator of one's life and one's surroundings. The Earl firmly believed Martha was indebted to him because he provided her with certain luxuries, 18th century England was a deeply patriarchal society and women were expected to defer to men no matter the situation. Martha essentially had no ability to live as she pleased, and as time went on, the earl's domineering attitude got worse. While publicly he was known to be friendly and talkative, in private he was often gruff and mean. To survive, Martha created her own network of female friends, mostly made up of musicians, actresses, and fellow mistresses. These connections eventually led to her being offered a job. In 1766, the manager of the Covent Garden Theater approached 21-year-old Martha about a singing engagement. The Earl flew into a rage at the mere suggestion. He declared she wasn't allowed to sing at all outside of Henschenbrook. Martha was sick of being controlled, however, When the Earl told her she couldn't perform, she sent him a pointed letter. She wrote, I am not a slave, nor will I suffer myself to be treated as such. Although she did feel indebted to the Earl, she believed that by denying her the chance to sing, he was breaking his promise to treat her as his wife. It's likely there was more to it than that, however. The Earl was often stingy with Martha's allowance, and the couple constantly bickered over money. The tension wasn't helped by the fact that Martha went on shopping sprees whenever she was upset. It wasn't a healthy relationship by any stretch of the imagination. The Earl reacted to Martha's letter with paranoia and jealousy. He accused her of cheating on him and even had his friends spy on her when she was alone in the city. His friends found no evidence of any affair. The couple eventually reconciled when Martha reaffirmed her love to the Earl and he paid off her bills. But the power struggle wasn't over. In the summer of 1772, 27-year-old Martha and the 55-year-old Earl had another blowout fight. The Earl's eldest son, who didn't approve of his father's mistress, refused to come to Hinchinbrook House while Martha was living there. The Earl ordered her to stay away for the entirety of his son's visit. Martha was understandably furious. She once again sent the Earl a strongly worded letter. This time, she threatened to never return to Hinchinbrook again. She took refuge with some friends in London and didn't see the Earl for over four months. He reacted by once again assuming Martha was having an affair He couldn't believe she would leave him without relying on another man to support her. As the months passed, Martha grew more and more upset. She was particularly hurt that the Earl excluded her from his will. By that point, she'd lived with him for over a decade and had borne him five children. Yet she stood to wind up completely destitute if he died. Unfortunately, the Earl refused to compromise. Ultimately... Martha had no choice but to return to the manor, as she had no other way of supporting herself. For a while, things settled down between the two of them, but eventually, the relationship would be tested again, this time by another man who was just as controlling and jealous as the Earl. Coming up, Martha Ray's life changes again
1: the internet what would we do without it so much information so little time and yet with all the answers available online there still lie scores of deep dark spooky secrets mysteries yet to be solved until now this isn't clickbait this is our exclusive new podcast internet urban legends i'm loey your evidence expert And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo Challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.
0: Now. Back to the story. By 1773, 28-year-old Martha Ray had been the Earl of Sandwich's mistress for a dozen years. Her relationship with the 55-year-old Earl was rocky, but Martha had committed to adhering to the arrangement they'd made when she was just 16 years old. Soon, however, her life would be turned upside down by the arrival of 21-year-old James Hackman. James was an officer in the army who was recovering from an illness a few miles away from the Earl's Manor, Hitchinbrook House. On December 16, 1773, he happened to ride his horse past the Earl's Mansion with a neighbor. The Earl graciously invited the two men to join him for supper. That night, James met Martha Ray for the first time. He greeted her with a courteous bow, instantly overwhelmed by her beauty. As they dined on the generous feast provided by the Earl, James found himself tongue-tied in awe of the lady's smile. His heart beat rapidly. His face grew warm. He'd never felt anything like it before. Growing up modestly, James was not used to being in the presence of such a glamorous woman. He hardly said a word to her, but was devastated when Martha retired for the evening a couple hours later. Martha Ray was James's first crush, and he fell head over heels. It didn't matter to him that she lived with the Earl, or that she hadn't expressed any special interest in him. He was convinced he was destined to win her heart. Inexplicably, he saw himself as the lead in a romantic novel, there to rescue a woman from her unsatisfying relationship with an older man, He was convinced that if he devoted himself entirely to Martha, she would have no choice but to love him. Over the next few days, James couldn't get his new crush out of his mind. He was in the midst of an intense infatuation. According to psychologist Richard A. Carroll, such infatuation is characterized by an increase in dopamine, the chemical that motivates an individual to pursue a reward. It's also associated with feelings of elation, increased energy, and is known to drive people to recklessly pursue their goals. Neuroscientist Donatella Marazziti has confirmed that in the initial stages of romantic attraction, as dopamine increases in the brain, serotonin decreases. This drop in serotonin has been linked with obsessive behavior, In an innocent case of infatuation, this could lead to harmless intrusive thoughts about a crush. In more severe cases, it causes an unhealthy obsession. Perhaps psychology can explain James Hackman's sudden, seemingly uncontrollable interest in Martha Ray. After their first encounter, he started frequently visiting Hinchinbrook to meet with her. Soon, He joined her every morning on her horse rides. Martha, for her part, didn't discourage James' attention at first. She was flattered that such an attractive younger man was interested in her. In the past, she'd only experienced love with the significantly older Earl of Sandwich. Even so, she tried not to give James the wrong idea. She wasn't about to uproot her entire life over a young man's crush. For a time, they kept their meetings secret. Even after James returned to his military unit in 1774, he still found ways to stay in contact with Martha. He wrote her stacks of lovesick letters and arranged clandestine rendezvous with her when she was in London. Despite their attempts to hide these supposed meetings, the Earl found out what was going on and ordered Martha to cut off contact with James. She promised she would, but according to James, never followed through. They continued to occasionally see each other in private. What exactly happened during these dates remains a mystery. Some sources claim the meetings never took place at all and were simply the invention of James's obsessed mind. Others speculate that the two were intimately involved in an illicit affair. The truth most likely lies in between. Martha and James did see each other, but their get-togethers were chaste. It's also unclear whether Martha ever had any genuine romantic feelings for James. There are no surviving documents that suggest she was in love with him. The only thing that's certain is that James was utterly devoted to her. He was determined to prove to her that he was worthy of her affection. While in London, he spent a fortune buying clothes in the latest fashion, in an effort to impress her. By 1776, he and Martha had been meeting in secret off and on for three years, and James was growing desperate. His military regiment was leaving for Ireland, and he needed to know Martha's feelings for him once and for all. On February 27th, just outside of Hinchinbrook, he proposed. Martha, wasn't interested. She tried to let him down easy, telling James that she had children with the Earl to consider. She insisted she had to remain loyal to her partner. Besides, there was no way she could support herself on the salary of a military man. James was devastated, but paradoxically, he took Martha's kind rejection as a sign that she secretly loved him. He believed, despite all signs, that he still had a chance with her. Ignoring the many reasonable objections Martha had made to their relationship, James fixated on her remarks about his salary. In her book, Love and Limerence, psychologist Dorothy Tenoff argued that the only way to stop an infatuation is to destroy all hope of an actual relationship. A gentle rejection doesn't always work because it allows room for hope, hope, is a major component of infatuation. If there remains even a slight glimmer of possibility that things might work out, an infatuated person may remain obsessed. Hope certainly sprang eternal with James. He couldn't keep his mind off Martha, even after leaving for Ireland. His promotion to lieutenant in July of 1776 did little to heal his broken heart. He needed to get back to England and win her love. The next year, James left the military and traveled back to England. He decided to change his career from soldier to clergyman. It's possible he turned to religion for relief from his heartbreak, but more likely, he just thought he could win Martha over with a more stable and lucrative career. For a time, James stayed with his uncle in the south of England and studied for his holy orders. All the while, he struggled with depression and could often be found wandering outside alone. Contemporary sources described him in a state of melancholy insanity. However, no one noted his behavior as out of the ordinary. James had always been considered somewhat moody and as an avid reader of tragic romances, was known to be dramatic. While he had no contact with Martha Ray for well over a year, he was still convinced they were meant to be. He talked about her so often that most people in town believed he was actually engaged or even already married to her. James's studies and his depression continued for around two years. Through his uncle's connections, he was eventually able to secure a deaconship in the small town of Wiveton. His pay would only be 50 pounds per year, certainly not enough to impress Martha Ray. Still, he was sure he could make more money on the side. The top paid holy men at the time often made 10 times as much. In some ways, it was the perfect place for the lovesick 26-year-old priest to live. He didn't stay there for long though, Only weeks after arriving in his new parish, he traveled to London. He needed to see Martha Ray. He couldn't wait any longer. For days, James desperately tried to meet with Martha. He was convinced she still loved him, and he wanted to propose a second time. He spent hours loitering outside the Admiralty, the building Martha and the Earl stayed in during trips to the city. It was a notable escalation of his obsessive behavior. James was essentially stalking Martha. Despite repeated attempts to meet with her, he was either unable to get into contact with her or else was flat out rejected. But James refused to give up so easily. To him, the proposal would be the culmination of over three years of effort. He couldn't go back empty-handed. Since he couldn't talk to Martha directly, he tried to work through an intermediary. In March, he arranged a meeting with one of her friends, Katerina Galley. He pleaded with Katerina to talk to her for him, telling her he wanted to propose to Martha once again. Katerina did bring up the issue to Martha Ray. Martha was so furious that her friend went behind her back to meet with her stalker that she stopped speaking to Katerina for several days. On March 30th, James sent Martha an anxious letter, meticulously listing all of the reasons he believed they should get married. He wrote that because he was a priest, he was making more money. He swore he loved her children as if they were his own and that they could all live comfortably in the countryside together. He just wanted five minutes of Martha's time so he could explain himself properly. The message, twisted from persuasion, to desperate manipulation in its final sentences. James warned that the only options for him were marriage or suicide. The note concluded with the words, for God's sake, let me hear from you. Keep me no longer in suspense since nothing can relieve me but death or you. Reading the letter worried Martha She wasn't sure how James had built up such a grandiose delusion in his head, but she knew she needed to put a stop to it. She sent his letter to Katerina, along with a short note of her own. On April 6th, Katerina invited James to her home so that she could read him Martha's reply. The response was clear and concise. Martha demanded that James leave her alone, She had no romantic interest in him whatsoever. James suddenly couldn't catch his breath. All he could hear was a high-pitched ringing in his ears. He felt his heart beating fast, then stop altogether. It felt as if his chest might implode. He could not, no, he would not believe what he heard. He knew in his heart that Martha loved him. There had to be a mistake, he demanded to see the letter, but Katerina wouldn't let him have it. He took her refusal as confirmation that she was lying about what Martha really wrote. Many experts now believe James Hackman may have been suffering from erotomania. The BMC Psychiatry Journal defines the condition as a psychiatric syndrome characterized by the delusional belief that one is left by another person generally of a higher social status. Many patients with erotomania believe that if the object of their love rejects them, it's only in an effort to protect them. Erotomaniacs rationalize even rejections as further proof of love. James literally could not take no for an answer. He refused to leave Katerina's home He couldn't accept that Martha would rebuff him after all of his effort to become a priest. Katerina was stunned, annoyed, and just wanted to wash her hands of the situation. She decided to lie to James to convince him that he had absolutely no chance with Martha. To break his spirit, she told James that Martha had taken a new lover and no longer had any interest in him. Katerina was most likely just trying to help her friend, but her white lie almost immediately blew up in her face. James went into a tailspin when he heard that Martha might be seeing someone else. Oddly enough, he could accept that she was the mistress of the Earl of Sandwich, but refused to believe that she would dare see another man. In response he sent an urgent anonymous letter to the Earl stating that Martha's friends were trying to besmirch her good name. For the rest of the evening, his mood swung wildly. One moment, he was despondent. The next, he was furious with jealousy. He needed to see Martha face to face to settle matters once and for all. He was sure she would change her mind if she saw how heartbroken she'd made him. The next day, James got his wish. Coming up, James and Martha see each other one last time. Now, back to the story. On April 7th, 1779, 26-year-old James Hackman was rejected by Martha Ray, the woman he'd been obsessed with for over five years. Though 33-year-old Martha had rebuffed James on multiple occasions, this was the first time he'd taken her half seriously, but he still believed he had one more chance to win her over. He didn't care that Martha was the mistress of the Earl of Sandwich or that she had possibly taken another lover. That morning, James visited her friend, Katerina Galley, for the third time. He demanded to see the note she'd read to him the previous afternoon. He had to read Martha's rejection for himself. He was disappointed. Katerina told him she'd already destroyed the letter. Distraught, James visited his sister and brother-in-law for lunch at their home in London. At the meal, James's family found him somewhat melancholy, but didn't think much of it. After an hour or so, he left, promising he would return after dinner. He never did. Instead, James once again traveled to the building where Martha was staying, hoping to catch a glimpse of her. When he arrived, he saw the Earl's coach was being prepared for travel. He figured the couple must be planning a night out on the town. He walked a short distance away to the Cannon Coffee House and took a seat by the window. From his table, He could see all of the street traffic at Charing Cross. He kept his eyes peeled for Martha's carriage. As it turned out, the Earl was busy with work and decided not to go out for that evening. The Revolutionary War in America was ongoing, and as the First Lord of the Admiralty, he was a major advisor on naval strategy. He suggested Martha entertain herself that evening by going to see a play at the Covent Garden Theater. Martha set to work getting ready for a night out on the town. She chose one of her finest silk gowns, made sure her makeup was at its best, and accented her outfit with a diamond necklace and earrings. A little after 6 p.m., her carriage trundled toward Covent Garden, stopping to pick up Katerina Galley along the way. The coach eventually passed Charing Cross on its journey to the theater. It was the moment James Hackman had been waiting for. As soon as he spotted Martha, he got up from his chair at the coffee house and rushed after her carriage. He stalked the women all the way to the theater, but was quickly separated from them in the crowd. He went inside and spun all around, desperately trying to find Martha. At last, he spotted her sitting high up above. She and Katerina were safely seated in box seats that James had no access to. He contented himself by staring at his love from afar. Then, he saw a gentleman sit down next to the two women. In James' opinion, Martha looked far too friendly with him. His mind raced, and he suddenly became convinced that this was the man Martha was having an affair with. He rushed out of the theater in a rage. Extreme jealousy especially sexual jealousy, can be a symptom of erotomania. James not only leapt to conclusions about Martha's supposed affair, he also viewed it as a betrayal, despite the fact that he and Martha likely never had a sexual relationship. It was all an invention of his mind. He'd completely misread the situation. The man that joined Martha and Katerina was a harmless friend, Lord Colrain. But by that point, James was completely out of touch with reality. He ran to his room, grabbed two pistols and hastily scratched out a message to his brother-in-law. It was, in essence, a suicide note. He told his brother-in-law that by the time the letter was received, he would already be gone. In shaky handwriting, he wrote, May heaven protect my beloved woman and forgive this act, which alone could relieve me from a world of misery I have long endured." Suicide was highly romanticized in 18th century England. Romantic literature from the period often ended tragically. The book's protagonists, starry-eyed lovers, often died by suicide if their love couldn't be consummated. Research has consistently shown that idealized versions of suicide in media increase the number of what are called emulation or copycat suicides. This pattern is known as the Werther syndrome, after the suicidal hero of Goethe's famous novel. Whether James was suffering from this condition or not, England in the late 1700s was considered the suicide capital of Europe. The deaths were often romanticized in British newspapers, potentially creating a vicious cycle. As explained by psychiatrist Dr. David Schaefer, hearing about a suicide seems to make those who are vulnerable feel they have permission to do it. Without a doubt, James Hackman believed that death by suicide was noble. He was an avid reader of many of these romantic novels and sympathized with the love struck protagonists. After finishing his note, he stuffed it in his jacket pocket along with the two pistols. He also brought along his letter to Martha, formally proposing marriage. At last, James re-entered the theater. He wasn't content with dying in his own home. He wanted to make sure that Martha saw the misery she'd caused him. As he stood in the pit, he looked up at his love, but she was busy watching the play. He couldn't be sure she would witness his death. Agitated, he left the building to come up with a new plan. His hands were shaking and he needed to calm his nerves. He walked back across the street to the Bedford Coffee House for a glass of brandy. But after the drink, he felt no calmer. He restlessly returned to the theater, but the show was still going. He wanted to be closer to Martha when he died. He went back to the coffee house for another drink and waited anxiously for the play to end. While he sat there, he tried to steal his resolve. Finally, at just past 11 p.m., spectators started exiting the theater. James rushed back across the street, pushing desperately against the crowd. He eventually spotted Martha Ray in the lobby, but the throng of theatergoers stopped him from getting too close He followed her out to the steps until servants for the wealthy patrons pushed him out of the way. From a distance, he watched Martha standing outside with her friend, Katerina, looking anxious. Then a handsome young man bowed his head to the ladies. They both smiled and James believed their conversation looked flirtatious. He was once again struck by a pang of jealousy. Just hours earlier, James had been certain Martha was flirting with a different gentleman in the theatre. Now, he saw her talking to a new man and instantly assumed he was the one she was having an affair with. Martha, meanwhile, was simply having a polite conversation with an acquaintance, John McNamara. John offered to help Martha and Katerina find their carriage and coachman. Reality mattered little to James at this point, however. When John held Martha's hand to help her into the carriage, James took it as proof that she was sleeping with him. He was convinced he'd been stabbed in the back, even though he'd never actually been in a relationship with Martha in the first place. James sprinted to the carriage and yanked on the back of Martha's gown. He drew his gun from his coat pocket and just as Martha turned, he fired. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back next time with part two of James Hackman and Martha Ray. We'll discuss the aftermath of their fatal final encounter and the sensational trial that followed. For more information on Hackman and Ray, Amongst the many sources we used, we found Love and Madness, The Murder of Martha Ray, Mistress of the Fourth Earl of Sandwich by Martin Levy, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Matthew Hartman, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, fact checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs.